And uh, we have been looking at uh, the Gospel of John and chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles and can turn there. I've been, for my daily reading, I've been going through Proverbs. And Proverbs 16.20 says that whoever gives thought to the Word finds good. And boy, I feel like we have found some good on these past Sunday mornings as we have been looking at the Gospel of John chapter 10. I'm going to go ahead and read the text today. Uh, John chapter 10 and verse 16. And then we'll back up and review a a little bit before we look at our text and open it up. John 10, 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. And I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd we've pointed out that the background in uh, uh, chapter 9 is where Jesus has uh, healed a blind man and since it was on the uh, Sabbath both Jesus and the blind man got in trouble. And they actually kicked him out of, the, uh, out of Judaism. Uh, in John chapter 9, verse 35, they excommunicated him from the synagogue. And Jesus went and found him. And as if to defend and explain what Jesus did in chapter 9... He begins to teach in chapter 10 about the good shepherd who goes and finds his sheep. They're in a fold. And we've said that that in the basis of chapter 9 is the fold of the old covenant, the fold of Judaism, the fold of the Pharisees. It's a structure. A fold was a sheep pen made of uh, blocks or stones to protect them. Uh, It also confined them. But Jesus is the good shepherd, and he goes and calls his own. He says in verse 3, The porter or gatekeeper, the steward, will open to the shepherd, and the sheep will hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by their name. They They are already his, but they have not heard the voice of the shepherd, and they... And he calls them and they recognize and he brings them out, um, illustrating how that he's going to ultimately call all of his own out of the old covenant and into a relationship with himself. That is the new covenant. And, you know, that's what Christianity is. Essentially, you can boil it down to one thing, and that is... You are following Jesus Christ. You've heard his voice. You're following him. And he is your religion. And that is what you have in the gospel of John chapter 10. And this shepherd is good to these sheep. He loves them so much. He will not give up on them. And he even dies for them and does not retreat 
from any attack that comes against them. Now, when we, when we looked at this, we made the statement that the sheep of John 10, which he calls his own, were the Jewish sheep in the fold of Judaism. And I think that's the background here. And they are already his own because the chosen people is almost synonymous with the Jews. And so that's an accepted, in fact, if you Google the chosen people, it will come up with many references to the Jews. Because everybody understands that that is a synonymous phrase for the Jewish people and the Jewish nation. And it's a biblical phrase because in Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 6, God says to the nation of Israel through Moses, he says, Deuteronomy 7, 6, you, you Jewish people, are a people holy to the Lord. And the Lord your God has chosen you. You're a chosen people. And you're a people for his treasured possession out of all the people on the face of the earth. Out of all the people, the Lord your God has chosen you. And that is the way that the Old Testament presents the people of Israel. And Jesus says he's come to call his own sheep. They're the flock. He's the Messiah shepherd. And he's come to call them and bring them out of that old covenant. And I would just add this, by the way, uh, evidently not all Jews, that is Jews by blood, are the chosen people. There are some Jews who evidently are not chosen. Abraham had Isaac, but he also had Ishmael that produced the Arabs. And then Isaac had Jacob, but he also had Esau, which it says in Malachi chapter 1, the Lord hated. And so you have to, uh, uh, the chosen people does not include, just because you can prove DNA right back to Abraham's loins doesn't mean that you're the chosen people, because God passed by some of them. So here you find that Jesus has come to call his own sheep. Now, uh, out of that Jewish fold, but it doesn't mean every Jew, because some Jews, many Jews, in fact, did not respond to Jesus as Messiah. Now, let's look uh, at, with that background and review, let's look at John chapter 10 and verse 16, and we'll try to add to these concepts He says, Jesus speaking, I have other sheep, not of this fold. And I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now, I think I've made a quick reference to this in the past and pointed out that I believe this is the Gentile chosen people. 
because in the New Testament, you suddenly find God is going after the world, not just the children of Israel. But he's going after all nations of men, all races of men, all kinds of men and women, a multitude. There are other sheep not of this fold. And and I give you two reasons why I hold that the other sheep are the Gentiles. In other words, there are other sheep not of this fold, the Jewish fold. When he says this fold, I think he's indicating the fold of Judaism that he has said, I'm going to call my own sheep out of, but I have other sheep. They're not in that fold. So following the context and following the line of thinking, I think what Jesus is saying, those not in the fold, I've got sheep that are mine. Notice he says, I have other sheep. They're his just like the the Jewish people were his. And I hope that thrills your heart to know that you belong to God before you were even a Christian. And that's the basis on which he has come for you. I must bring them also. I must do it. Why? They're mine. They're my sheep. And I'm going to go get them. The, another reason I take these to be Gentiles is because it seems like Jesus is quoting from the prophet Isaiah. And I think we can pull up Isaiah 56. I think we can put this on the board. And the, notice who he's speaking about. The foreigners, the strangers, not the Jews, who joined themselves to the Lord, ministered to him and love his name. These I will bring... Remember what he said here? I must bring them also. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in the house of prayer. And then give me uh, verse 8. Do we have verse 8? Can you give me the next one? up? Yes. The Lord God who gathers the outcast of Israel. Remember when Jesus went and he gathered that Jewish man who was healed and, and the Jewish leaders kicked him out of the synagogue? Jesus went and got him. He found him. So the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others besides those already gathered. So it seems like Jesus, who is steeped in the Old Testament with a mind burning with the prophets, is quoting from Isaiah 56, verses 6 through 8. And he says, I have other sheep not in this fold. I want to now give you from this text three thoughts that I think will summarize for us how we're to view what Jesus is teaching here. Number one. We find that Gentiles are viewed as equal to Jews in their election and their Messiah and shepherd. 
are Jews called sheep? So are the Gentiles here. Do the Jews belong to him? Does he get his own? Verse 3. Well, he says, I have other sheep. And them also I must bring. They are already his and there is no doubt. Look at verse uh, 16 again. Let this just sort of roll over your mind and transform your thinking about this whole thing. He says, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. He doesn't say, I've come, I've got some others and I've got to go and I've got to do my best. I, I mean, I think they will listen. I hope they will listen. No, they will listen. They will respond. How do you know if you're a sheep? It's because when Jesus the shepherd comes, you hear his voice and you follow him. That's how you know. Now, if you're not a sheep and you don't want to follow him, then you don't care. You're probably not even here today, to be honest. I mean, that doesn't make quite much sense. Some of you may not be all here, but at least you're here. They, they, there is no doubt here in the mind of Christ that those Gentile sheep are just as much his and just as much secure in the future. They are going to come as the Jewish sheep. Okay, I'm going to give you a verse. Paul says in Ephesians 1, 5, that he, God, predestined us. (laughs) The word predestined is a word. Man, you, you don't want to use that in church on Sunday morning. That's not a good idea. But this is what Paul says. Ephesians 1, 5, he predestined us to what? To be adopted as his children. And who's us? Jews? No. Ephesians. Those are Gentiles. That you as Gentiles all over the world, whether in Ephesus or Jerusalem or in Tennessee or in Michigan or Kentucky or California, there's even predestined sheep in California. There's got to be somebody in 30 million people. There's got to be some sheep there. These are the elect of God, the predestined, the chosen. And just as, just as chosen as the Old Testament Jew could claim to be. So when we look at this, we see that. Gentiles have the same language of election and predestination that the Jews do. They're sheep. They're going to come. They already belong to him. He's going to come and get them. Here's a second point. Election here and belonging to God before you actually come is foundational to missions and evangelism. Did you notice that? I have other sheep not of this fold. 
I must bring them. This is the driving force behind Jesus' coming, incarnation, death, and resurrection. For this reason, he says, verse 17, the Father loves me because I lay down my life to take it again. For this reason, what reason? That there is going to be one flock of Jew and Gentile and one shepherd. For this reason, I've got to go and I've got to get it done. See, one usually thinks that predestination and the doctrine of election will hurt missions. I've had that said to me before. If you preach that, it'll hurt evangelism. Actually, the opposite is true. Other sheep I have, and them I must bring, and they will listen. Success is secured by the doctrine of election. Did you know that I almost quit the ministry several times uh, in Texas because my I viewed people as I have to go and I have to win as many as I can. I got so frustrated one Sunday morning, I got up and I said, I promise this church that before next Sunday morning, I will win at least one person to Jesus. Because, see, it was all in me. It's, it's something I had to do. It's, not, it's my persuasive. If I'm just persuasive enough, if I use the best story and illustration, I can get it done. So I visited and I knocked on doors. Uh, where I was in Texas, there was a, uh, several Cherokee Indians. And I found an old Cherokee Indian who was drunk. And I won him to Jesus. <laughs> now, the next day, he didn't remember getting one to Jesus. But I remember him praying the prayer. And that was the best I could do. Someone once said, when I first started ministry, I thought, if I believed in predestination, I wouldn't even be in ministry. Then he said, after 20 years of dealing with hard hearts and sin-soaked lives, he said, I've come to the point where if I didn't believe in predestination, I wouldn't be in ministry. That's how much has changed. So I don't have to buttonhole you. I don't have to get into your face and annoy the heck out of you. I can let God bring you and I can be his instrument. And I can rejoice and celebrate the fact that I'm a participant in the ongoing mission of God to save his sheep. What a difference it makes in ministry. It will keep you in the ministry decade after decade after decade. There are other sheep I must bring. Thank you, Jesus. You go bring them. I'll be here and help you with whatever you want me to do. But he brings them. We receive them. Election is a foundation point for missions. Let me give you an example in Paul's life of that. 
In the book of Acts, chapter 18, verse 6, and I think we can put this on the board. Acts 18, 6, Paul was opposed and reviled when he went to the synagogue to preach the gospel. And he shook out his garments and he said, your blood be on your head. I'm going to the Gentiles. I'm so tired of hearing you all complain about me talking about Jesus being crucified and raised again. It says he was opposed and reviled, made fun of, mocked. And I'm just wondering, you know, what did they say to him to revile him? As Jews, they would have thought, you're telling us about Jesus who's not even from Jerusalem up in Galilee. And he's supposed to be our Messiah plus the fact that he got crucified. Are you kidding me? Paul, you're nuts. And I am not going to listen to you anymore. And I'm getting my family and I can imagine some of them uh, would dramatically get their children, their wife and kids, and they would march out of the synagogue. I'm not listening to you anymore. Reviling him. And Paul became discouraged to the point where it says in the next verse, Acts 18 and 9, the Lord said to Paul one night in in a vision, do not be afraid, Paul, but go on speaking. Do not be silent because I am with you and they will not harm you for I have many people in this city. In other words, they don't have them. Paul doesn't have them yet, but God says, I have them. They're already my sheep. You keep on preaching, they'll show show up, and I have many of them in this city. And it says, Paul stayed another year and six months teaching the Word of God. And the church at Corinth became historically the largest church in the New Testament age in the first century. became the most flourishing church in the first century. Here's a, a third point that I want to make to you. And that is that this union of Jew and Gentile under one flock into one flock and one shepherd reveals the heart of God from the very beginning. It reveals the heart of the Father. He says, verse 17, the Father loves me because I lay down my life to take it again. The Father loved Jesus because of that. It doesn't mean he loved him more or that he didn't love him before. It's just that it made the Father, it moved the Father. So much that Jesus would help go out and bring in these Gentile sheep to the point of his death. He says, verse 18, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. And this charge, this assignment, I received from my Father. The Father has always had as his goal... To have one flock, one shepherd, one unified body of people. This is not to say that you can't have denominations. Some denominations emphasize certain things more than other things. And that's okay. You know, uh, but the truth is, for God, there's only one flock and one shepherd. One people of God in the earth. And 
any metaphor or analogy that the New Testament will use, it's always one kingdom, one king. One one family, one father. One head, one body. This is the analogies of the church. That you're either saved or you're lost. You're either his under Jesus Christ or you're not. You're, the, the, God's not going to ask you when you die and go to heaven if you were a Baptist. If he does, I wouldn't say yes. It might get you out of there too quick. You, you just, just say, hey, I, I just love the Lord Jesus Christ following him. Glad to be here. Thank you for letting me in through Jesus. That's it. But the goal of one people unified in Christ has always been in the heart of God. As we look at this verse, I was just thinking about how, what should we change? What can we do different? And I, I think I just want to tell you that yes, we believe in election, at least a lot of you do. And yes, it can be abused. But I want to tell you that this verse still holds true today. There are other sheep not yet here. And we need to focus on those outside this building in our future. That's why Jesus came. He, he came to get his own, and he came to get those who were not in the fold. He came to get those who are his, and he is passionate to the point of death to obtain and retrieve every one of those who are not yet here. And we join him in that. An election as the basis of missions. What a thought. What a thought. When my children were small, we lived over on the proper street in Burton. And uh, the kids would go out and, and play with the neighborhood children. And we would always require that they tell us where they would go before they went in somebody's house. And one afternoon, um, my daughter Patty could not be found. Now, Patty's always been the little blonde, curly-headed, good child among all the children. <laughs> That's what the other children call her. She's the good child. Um, they're all good children. We all know that. They're good. Um, but I could not find Patty. I think Jan was working. And I sent Elizabeth down the street. said, see if she's rode her bike down the street. Because I can't, I can't find her anywhere. And maybe just go around the block on your bike. See if you can find her. I went to the neighbors and knocked and said, we're looking for Patty. We can't find her. And the neighbors got involved. And they started walking up and down the street looking for her. And after about two hours of looking for this little curly-haired blonde girl, I was starting to panic. I went in the bedrooms and yelled out her name. Patty, where are you here? Patty. 
went back downstairs and out in the backyard. I thought, I'm going to call the police. I'm not waiting any longer. And I thought, I'm going to go up to their room one more time and yell her name. And I went back up to their room because I'd already been in there a couple, uh, at least once. And I said, Patty. And I heard this squeaky little girly voice uh, say, what? And she had gone to sleep in her bed. The bed was pushed up against the wall and evidently rolled over and rolled out of the bed and got between the wall and the bed. So you couldn't see her and she was sound asleep. And I dug her out of there and held her and went out and told everybody, I got her. She was sleeping on the floor, hidden away between the wall and the mattress. Who would have known? And I thought, you know, there are children who go missing just about every day. And my heart goes out to them. It does. And I will even donate if I can or, or help or make a phone call if I could. But... I go to bed at night. But there was something different about Patty. You know what it was? She belongs to me. That's mine. That's my daughter. And so I am not going to sleep until I find her and make sure she's safe. That's election, my friend. Other sheep... I have that are not of this fold. I must bring them. What a divine drive of redemption in Jesus. He must bring them. We join him. They'll come. One way or another, he'll get them. Whether he uses us or not is another matter. Uh, Let's join our hearts and say, Jesus, use us to find your people. Amen. Let's pray together. Holy Father, thank you that you have chosen us, brought us, died for us, been raised for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. We praise your name today and consider it our highest honor to belong to you. Now help us to turn our eyes toward others, toward the future, and to be involved in Michigan, in missions in Michigan because it is on your heart. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.